She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And we have Ann Barter back on the show. I fell in love with her so much the first time. I was like, we have to have you back. Everyone was like, she was amazing. We got to have her back. We've got some great questions from you guys that you've asked. So I'm so excited. Ann, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So our title today is all about the thyroid and gut connection. So I want you to talk about how important is your gut and how closely tied is that? Oh, so tied. Um, The gut is critical. It's one of the first things that I check when somebody is coming into the office. And the reason for that is because the gut affects everything. And if you have infections in the gut or you have slow movement through the gut, then you're basically built up. It's kind of like, in my opinion, you know, not fixing the gut really inhibits those detox pathways because a lot of the way that we're going to be able to detoxify is through our gut or through our stool, which isn't, you know, fabulous to think about, but it's so, so important. And so if something is backed up or if we have infections, that's going to really impair our ability to eliminate. It's going to affect everything. It's going to affect our mood. It's going to affect other organ systems because in a huge amount of the gut houses, the, the, the immune system is housed in the gut. So it's really important to look at the gut. So the first test I run generally when people come to see me, is I run something called the GI mat map, just to see how folks are eliminating. And um, even if somebody comes in, you know, with hypothyroid or more of a thyroid issue, because the thyroid and the gut are so tied. And if you don't fix the gut, you're not really going to fix the thyroid and vice versa. So they're so important to treat in combination. I think we have been trained to look at oh, I have a thyroid problem, so I'm just going to focus in and hone in on that thyroid. Or I have a foot problem, and I'm just going to hone in on that. When everything really works together. And so we need to correct all of these symptoms of um, basically all these other organ systems. So it's really important to do that. All right. Well, I've got this next question is from Sydney in New Jersey. She says, I am on nature thyroid, but I'm always constipated. I'm feeling that my levels of nature thyroid needs to go up. I just got my labs back and my TSH was at 5.5. What do you think I should do? Do you think I should keep going? My doctor says that 4.5 is still within range, even though it's high. Hmm. Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, you know, levels of TSH are interpreted differently by different providers. So um, within range, when you're looking at the laboratory range of TSH, it can go up to 4.5. Um, some endocrinologists are treating much earlier and they are adjusting dosages on 
antithyroid replacement um, much earlier. So some folks believe that the optimal level is 1.8. Um, I believe it should be anything under three. Um, I, I start to see people really have symptoms of low-functioning thyroid at 2.8 TSH. So the higher your TSH goes, the more you have hypothyroid. So I want to just say that again because that's really confusing. The higher your TSH goes, the more you have hypo or low-functioning thyroid. And so, yes, I think at that level, you're going to be experiencing symptoms. Now, what unfortunately happens with thyroid cases is those levels have to continue to go up. So I think it's important to figure out what might be contributing to those levels going up. So a lot of things are going to affect the thyroid. Stress majorly affects the thyroid. Trauma will affect the thyroid as well. Gut affects the thyroid gland, as well as chemical exposures. Um, you know, specifically, I've seen a lot of mold, a lot of heavy metals, and other things that we're exposed to every day in our environment really affect the thyroid gland. Also, nutritional deficiencies affect the thyroid gland. And so um, I would really um, encourage you to just dig a little deeper as well to also see what's affecting it. But yeah, your levels are definitely, uh, in my opinion, high. Oh my gosh. I, if my thyroid, and I just got my thyroid levels checked and they, my TSH is almost always around you know, the one mark. Um, and that's how I feel my very best is anywhere from like one or under. And I just got my thyroid checked and I was in the low fours. And I, I started taking a compound pharmacy. I started taking some medicine from a compound pharmacy that was extended delay. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, and the doctor said that when you do that, when it is extended delay, it brings, it can have an effect on the amount that you're getting. So I need to actually increase, You have sometimes when you just do it at a compound pharmacy and you do the extended delay where it goes a longer period of time, that you actually need to increase your medicine when you do the extended delay that goes around through, through the whole day. Because and and that happens to be true for me because I just got mine checked and it was at a four, so which is really high in my opinion. Like I don't, I think for me, I I see people at optimal levels where they're like one point five or less. That's how they're really feeling good. Yeah, I mean, I think even generally, it just depends also what else is going on. Going on. Because yeah, and it's going to fluctuate as well and. The thyroid also affects the motility of the gut. And I forgot to cover this, but um, it, it, the, the thyroid regulates how um, well you move things through the gut because it regulates every enzyme reaction. So a real big symptom of hypothyroid is constipation, just like Sydney's experiencing um, because it's going to affect every enzyme reaction in your gut, how much H 
CL you're producing and the transit time, it's going to slow down the transit time when that TSH goes up. So yeah, I, I mean, I agree. In the fours, I think is way too high. People really, I really see people experience pretty substantial thyroid symptoms above three. So real hypothyroid symptoms, but it's not really treated at that level. So it's hard to, hard to get it treated for um, medication. So let's talk about, well, I'll ask this next question and this is from Anonymous. I'm very confused. I feel like I've been listening to every podcast out there on thyroid and it seems like different guests on different podcasts say all kinds of different things about iodine. One says that iodine is good and if you don't have enough iodine, then your thyroid is not going to function. One says that you have to be very careful with too much iodine. I don't know what to believe. When I look at the supplement of my multivitamin, it does say it has iodine in it. And sometimes when I take the supplement, I feel good. And sometimes I don't. I'm wondering if what I'm eating as far as iodine levels has to do with that in combining it with the other. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was confused about that for a while too. So what I learned in school initially was, yes, you give iodine. And this was, this was a while ago. You give iodine for thyroid. That's like what was initially taught. Then it went, whoa, there was a study that came out, I think it was about eight years ago. And that one said, you do not give iodine, especially in autoimmune Hashimoto's, right? You absolutely do not give it. It's dangerous. It can spin them and put them into an autoimmune storm. And then there was more research that came out that says, you need iodine in the correct levels. So what they do to treat, for example, Graves' disease, where your thyroid is hyper, hyper functioning too much in your auto, is they actually will give iodine in high, high doses to kill portions of your thyroid gland. But if you don't have enough iodine, your thyroid won't function. So this is basically, you need enough for your thyroid to function, but you can't have too much. So I've heard of folks on YouTube saying, oh, you need to dose in super high doses for your thyroid gland. That's actually dangerous um, because again, you can hurt your thyroid gland and you can, um, because that's how they're treating it with hyper thyroid and Graves disease. So the, the answer is, is that you can't have too much and you can't have too little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But it's a matter of how do you know what is too much and too little? You need right? to check your iodine levels. You need to check them. So let's talk about how often you think that you should check your thyroid because I I disagree that you know a lot of the traditional doctors will say 
we're going to fix your medicine and then we're going to wait six weeks to test again. Well, within six, like to me, that's just way too long. Like, what do you, okay, you're going to be miserable for six weeks this whole time before you test again. So don't you think that's too long? Like I can tell within days of how I feel if I've changed my thyroid medicine. Like, so to me, don't you think one week, two weeks is a little bit more reasonable? So the thyroid gland is going to go up, down, left, and right, just based on what's going on. So my philosophy on the thyroid and how I treat it is a little bit different than what a traditional doc will do. Um, I think that if you feel bad or if you're still having problems with your dosage, you need to go back in and get your thyroid gland checked sooner than maybe what they've recommended. If you still don't feel right, you need to advocate for yourself. What I do is I want to see what else is affecting the thyroid gland. So I'm treating around the thyroid gland. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to treat the gut at the same time. I'm also trying to treat environmental chemicals, which is going to stabilize that thyroid gland because a lot of times the thyroid gland is a symptom of something else going on. Now, occasionally when you are in it, and it depends. So sometimes I will go after the thyroid gland short-term as I'm fixing these other problems. But what I find is that the thyroid gland a lot of times is along for a ride because something else is going on in the system. So for example, um, we'll have to treat um, some of the conversions of the thyroid gland to help heal up leaky gut. You also have to treat the nutritional deficiencies around it. If you have hypothyroid, you generally have deficiencies across the board in vitamins and minerals and nutrients. You generally have a lot of deficiencies, magnesium, calcium, omegas, you know, just basic vitamins. A lot of folks have nutritional deficiencies. And part of that goes back to the gut. You're not absorbing those, those nutrients, etc. So long, long story short, um, I think that it depends on how you're treating it. Um, a lot of, a lot of people don't feel right on the adjusted dose. The, their reasoning is they want to give your body time to get used to the new dose before they recheck it again. But the important part of the story is if you still feel bad, you need to advocate for yourself and you need to get it checked sooner. Love it. Okay. This is from Ainsley in Naples, Florida. I love your podcast and I want to thank you for the time you've put into it. I'm doing great with IF and I've lost so much weight just from listening to your podcast. I still have about 20 pounds to go, but I'm still struggling with my thyroid. I read something about selenium and how it protects against the effects of iodine toxicity. And I don't really understand what that meant. It said that it had something to do with autoimmune disease that excess iodine without selenium could cause, and I didn't totally understand it. If you can help me understand how much sub, how much selenium should I take and what other supplements can I take to improve my thyroid? I know it's not functioning at optimal levels. So there was an interesting, super interesting selenium and vitamin D. 
Okay. And what they showed with that is that um, if you have optimal levels of selenium and vitamin D, then what ends up happening is it protects you from autoimmunity with Hashimoto's. And they have shown that in the studies that they saw a decrease in thyroid antibodies. So we're talking about two different things here. So we have just traditional hypothyroid, and then we have autoimmune hypothyroid, which is Hashimoto's. Hashimoto's affects about 80% of people that have hypothyroid. So a lot of times if you have hypothyroid, you might have Hashimoto's. So yes, they have found that selenium can be protective. Now, the question is, how much should you dose for? I don't know. It's the same thing with vitamin D, just knowing how much you should dose for. What are your levels beforehand? Because a lot of times you don't want to overdo something nutrient-wise. Um, and so I think it's very, very important to get your levels checked, your nutrient levels checked to see what things look like. Other things that are going to help um, a thyroid gland. So let me just back up. You want to make sure that you're absorbing the nutrients that you're eating. So I think that that's the first step. Step one is to make sure that you're absorbing. So how do you know? Let, let's go back to that. So like one of the, the biggest things I would say is, let's say if you, if you look at your poop and mm-hmm. you see like in your poop, you see particles that are maybe in the toilet. Wouldn't that be a good <laughs> indication that you're not digesting what you need to? Totally. A hundred percent. What are, give us some other ones. Like let's, let's talk about poop for a second. Yeah, I like it. Okay. So, um, one thing, like if you're getting a lot of gas and bloating or you see pieces of food in your stool pretty frequently, I think it's, it's often common that you're having trouble digesting your food. Another thing, if you have itchy skin or if every food you're eating, you're reacting to. And so, um, Traditionally, what I see in practice is folks will come in and they'll say, listen, I eat chicken, broccoli, you know, and like five other foods. And if I, if I vary from this diet, I have so many problems. I get itchy skin. I get bloated. I have gas. That is a good indication that you have leaky gut. If you have brain fog, if, um, if you can't sleep or you wake up on full moons, that's a good indication that something else is eating your food. If you have reflux, if you notice on just basic traditional labs that um, you have iron deficiency, that's another good indication that something is eating your nutrients. So if we go in and we're like, and okay, when you're saying that, so you're saying parasites, parasites, H. pylori. SIBO infections, like overgrowth of bacteria, streptococcus, bacillus, um, you know, staph infections, uh, infections in the mouth are going to affect your gastrointestinal absorption, you know, what, what you're being able to absorb. Leaky gut, inflammation, all of these things make a difference. So that's why I really like to go back to the gut versus saying, you should take vitamin A, you should take iodine, you should take selenium. 
why aren't you absorbing these things from your food? And sometimes we need additional support and supplemental support, but it should be a supplement to your diet. And the question is, why aren't you getting some of these things from your diet? And so we want to just make sure that we're not over supplementing because that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. It's over, but, but we want your nutrition to be from your food and then the supplements to go on top of that. And yes, we can make the argument that our soil has been depleted and we're not getting as much nutrients from our food anymore, but ultimately we only want to supplement with what we need. Hey guys, I'm so excited. My new book, One Meal and a Tasting is out now. And if you order the book on Amazon, just the regular paperback edition, if you go in and make a review, you will get the audio book for free. Send a copy of your receipt to questions at ChantelRayway.com and you'll get the audio book right away. So are you saying basically... If you're seeing these symptoms, the number one thing that they need to do is do a stool test for them to actually see, is it H. pylori? Is it, you know, what what is going on? Because there's got to be something going on in order for this to happen. A lot of, yes, a lot of times I will see the following things on a stool test of thyroid patient. Um, and like you said, you know, I don't generally go in and touch the thyroid gland initially. Because most of my most of my thyroid patients, over 60% of them have an H. pylori infection. If you have an H. pylori infection, that is your first line of defense in your stomach, right? So you're going to notice reflux. You're going to notice um, esophageal swelling. You're going to have trouble swallowing. You're going to feel bloated and gassy. Um, it's it, The list goes pretty much on and on, but there's a tie to that, to, to the thyroid plant. And so we really need to address that so that you can't, because the stomach should break down that food into those really small pieces. And an H. pylori infection makes you more alkaline, right? And so it basically allows big pieces of food to go into your small intestine and that's not absorbing well, and that can lead to leaky gut and inflammation in that gut lining. Then it's like, you're reacting to every food you're, um, you're basically eating. And so if you run a food sensitivity test, what ends up happening is all the foods that you've eaten in the last month show positive on this test because you're reacting to all those foods because they're leaking out of your gut, right? Um, another real big contributor, um, in thyroid cases is there is definitely a correlation with gluten and wheat. Um, that's definitely something important to stay away from, especially with autoimmune Hashimoto's thyroid disease. Um, so I think that the big thing here is just looking at what does the stool test look like and clearing that out in, and seeing, you know, what happens with your thyroid and what else could be going on. There's also heavy metals that, and as well, mold that will attack the thyroid. So as we start to clear these things out, you sometimes will see the thyroid re-regulate. Um, and, and sometimes people don't need medication. Sometimes they do, you know, what, you know, I, I don't want to say anything specific because it depends on what's going on with you. Um, specifically. So there's no like one 
protocol that's going to be like, oh, this is going to do it all for, you know, somebody that has, you know, hypothyroid or Hashimoto's, et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let's talk about some natural remedies for H. pylori. I read (laughs) a good article the other day and it was talking about some things. It was talking about green tea, olive oil, and honey. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, I drink green tea every day. (laughs) Um, And I do eat a lot of olive oil. So have you, what, what are, do you agree with that? Or what are some more other natural remedies that you would say for H. pylori? That's good. Um, I generally will use, um, I use something different. Um, I use, um, uh, organ grape. I use olive leaf. I use mastic gum. I use licorice extract. Um, and I use biofilm busters a lot and I will change my antimicrobials quite a bit. Sometimes I'll use ginger and turmeric as well, but I'll generally change my, um, my, my um, antimicrobial herbs a couple times within the treatment because, you know, bacteria is smart and they get used to it. So, you know, when, you know, when the traditional medical community is treating it, they'll use a lot of times four different antibiotics to treat it when, when there's a real stubborn infection. So um, that's what I do. And then I will rotate it. I I tend to have pretty good luck with doing um, those antimicrobials. Um, and do you have a place on your website where you say like, you know, all of those that you just listed. So like if someone said, okay, I think I have H pylori, I can click on there. And then all of those are listed somewhere. Yeah, I will. Um, also I'll put a link link below because I don't remember, um, exactly where it is. So I'll have to go back and double check. Um, I don't generally, um, shop on there too much. So, um, but I'll, I'll double check and we can put that in the show we'll notes. Put the below. show notes. Perfect. Yeah. That sounds mm-hmm. great. Um, so what would you say is the, any other issues in the gut besides H. pylori that are causing people to have thyroid issues? Yeah. So I think H. pylori is huge. The other thing that I think is actually a pretty big deal, um, is, when you get, so, um, this is kind of a big thing and this is not, I want to just be clear, um, that a lot of dentists don't practice this way, but there are some, there are two bacteria that I see that can spin up thyroid autoimmune disease. Um, and a lot of times after people have gotten their wisdom teeth removed, Mm. they will actually get dry socket. and they will have chronic infections. They'll have chronic TMJ pain. They'll have chronic gut issues. Um, and particular bacteria, if they grow out of control, they're called a cavitation, or this can also happen after root canals is they will produce Probotella and Fusobacterium. And so these two bacteria will create chronic gut issues. And so this is kind of for somebody out there that has tried everything. They're like, I don't know what's going on with my gut. I have no idea. Everything is normal. I've been to all kinds of different practitioners. Could be coming from your mouth, especially if you had any adverse reactions to any dental work within two years. And what happens is, is this bacteria can grow out of control in your mouth and you're swallowing it down consistently. And so they've seen that this is um, linked to not only autoimmune disease, like inflammatory bowel 
Uh, but it's also linked to other autoimmune diseases that start lupus, Hashimoto's, et cetera. And so I think getting your mouth checked is really, really important. We put people on something called biocidin short term, which is um, liposomal. I don't have that on my website, but it's something that will absorb and help that infection there. But I think the big thing is going to a holistic dentist to really see in the, um, the method of choice to see if there is an infection is to run something called a CT or a cone beam scan. And what this does is this is going to give us a little more information than an x-ray. So, you know, generally when you go to a dentist and run an x-ray, but a cone beam scan is going to see if there are any infections because you'll get black areas in the mouth. And so I'm not an, I'm not an expert with that, but that's been something that has been huge for um, not only my thyroid cases, but my gut cases, especially the chronic ones. So that is huge as well. Um, and I think really looking at any other bacterial overgrowth um, as well, and that can be linked to chronic SIBO infections. Um, the other thing that I see, you know, occasionally I'll see parasites associated with it. Um, you know, you don't know what is triggering the Hashimoto's, you know, sometimes a, just a um, strep throat infection can trigger um, Hashimoto's. There's been some evidence in the literature that suggests that. So any sort of infection can really, can really spur it up. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be just in the gut. Yeah, I actually got my mercury fillings removed and I had two root canals on two teeth. And what's crazy is there's actual different teeth that show that if you get a root canal from those teeth, you can have these kind of problems. And both the ones that I had were my thyroid. So I literally... Yeah, I literally pulled both those teeth. So um, if I open my mouth right now, you could see I actually have, but they're so far in the back that like one's like my last tooth and one's like back here. So I just don't even, there's two teeth actually missing in my mouth. But see when I smile, you can't really tell. When did you get that removed out of curiosity? Um, I got that removed about a year ago. And then okay. my thyroid was functioning better. So Isn't that, that crazy? Yeah. yeah. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. So I still wasn't able to get off of thyroid medicine altogether, mm-hmm. um, but it definitely was better. And and actually, I had to reduce my thyroid medicine once I had that done because my thyroid was functioning at a better level. See, exactly what you're saying is 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 exactly what I'm trying to communicate. I mean, you just said it so eloquently. It's just you can you can see improved function in your thyroid when you start to take care of these things that doesn't necessarily mean you will come fully off of a thyroid dosage but you can see some changes in the functioning as you get these things resolved and, and cleared up so yeah you just said that so eloquently thank you So let's talk about fluoride for a second because, you know, I feel like 
you know, fluoride, a lot of people are doing all these fluoride mouthwashes and fluoride, you know, to get their teeth cleaned and all these different things. And it's so much in our water. It's in certain medications. It's in some bottled beverages and some, it's in some different, um, teas, like red and black teas that it's in, some canned food items. So they all can contain fluoride. And the amount of fluoride we're getting inundated with, it you know, fluoride can act as a trigger for thyroid health. So can you talk about that a little? Yes. Uh, fluoride, chlorine, you know, all of that can. Um, so yes, it does. It competes with the binding sites of the iodine. Um, and it does actually um, dysregulate your thyroid gland and not make it work as well. So a big thing that I really just recommend to address that is get a really good water filtration device because that's going to lower both um, lower both of those down to stop you know the the assault on your thyroid gland. I'm not a big fan of fluoride mouthwashes and products. I'm all about using a natural toothpaste. Um, I use something called dental cytin, um, which is what I talked about with the biocytin before that will help bacteria in your mouth. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I do not use a fluoride toothpaste. Um, and I am not, you know, I'm not a dentist. I don't play one on TV. But um, my dentist said that once your teeth have formed, that um, fluoride doesn't help to keep the teeth stronger. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything to, to change the teeth, um, which is, I think the big reason that we're constantly fluoriding teeth and, um, I don't have any mouth gum dental problems. So I think the best thing is number one, to change over your mouthwash, to not use something, um, to not use fluoride. And I've got a good recommendation. I don't have any affiliation with them, um, but they're called Elemental Silver uh, Mouthwash. And so they have a really good mouthwash and I can um, I can send a link below if somebody's interested in that. Um, and I think just the water filtration devices that will actually filter things out. So one of the um, things I recommend is figuring out what's in your water because not only can you have chlorine byproducts, uh, fluoride, as well as heavy metals, believe it or not, in your water as well. So think um, what I recommend is going to something called environmentalworkinggroup.org, ewg.org. And what that does is it tells you what's in your water supply, right? Mm -hmm. So it tells you, so the city is going to report, your city is going to report, or your, your municipality is going to say, well, these, we've kept these things below the standard in parts per million. This is okay. What the environmental working group is going to say is that we know that these things are in your water. These are higher than optimal amounts, or they are here. And so they will tell you, hey, this is a good filtration device device to use um, for your water source. Now, one thing that I found um, is that fluoride is harder to filter out in a lot of the water filtration devices, the whole house water filtration devices. And so you have to think about where you're getting it. You're not only drinking it, you're not only using it in mouthwashes or in toothpaste, but you're also, when you take a really hot shower, it's absorbing through your skin. 
You think about those pieces. So you really want to address all the ways that it might be coming in. So maybe a shower filtration device. Um, and I know that Berkey water filters um, is really quite good. Um, and they actually are going to filter that out. Um, so they, you know, so they're good. Um, and, and that's what I would recommend to really limit your exposure. You want to limit your exposure to all these environmental chemicals. And I think what I'd like to say, you know, in, in lieu of intermittent fasting, for example, intermittent fasting is so powerful. Fasting in general is so powerful to get these chemicals out, but you want to stop re-exposure to them because a big reason that people can't fully water fast, for example, is because they're mobilizing so many chemicals. That's why they feel so bad, or that's why people feel so bad initially fasting because we store that in our fat. And then when we mobilize it, we just feel terrible. And a lot of times we can't get it out. So, um, so reducing your exposure is definitely step one. Um, there's also another good resource called tap score. If you're like, I don't know what's in my water and I really just want to get it checked. Um, that's also from the environmentalworkinggroup.org or ewg.org. It's called tap score. You can send a um, sample of your water and, and just really see what's in your water and what's concerning. That's awesome. Well, that's that's a really good observation. You know, one of the things that people really need to know about the Berkey water, and I have those at my office, I do have a full water filter in our whole house, but then I also have the reverse osmosis water for drinking. But people have to remember that they have to, for the Berkey water, there's a separate filter for the fluoride. So like, just because you get the Berkey water machine, there's an additional like filter that you have to hook on to put in for the fluoride too. Exactly. Yep. Nice, nicely said. So as far as let's talk about other things that you feel like are really affecting people thyroid wise that they need to know that I haven't asked you already? Stress. Stress is huge. I think stress affects everything. So I think stress is a big component. A couple of things that I've really seen trigger Hashimoto's, for example, autoimmune thyroid is I'll see folks that suddenly get into a car accident or suddenly have a very stressful event. And then, um, they, their thyroid is completely spun up and then they show antibodies to their thyroid gland where they didn't a year before. So stress is a huge component, um, which we touched on environmental toxicity. We've touched on gut health. We've touched on, you know, mold, for example, and then nutrient deficiencies, I think are the big things that really affect your thyroid health. Mm, that's awesome. All right. I have one more question and this is from Justine in Sedona, Arizona. 
I have lost 42 pounds doing intermittent fasting, and thank you for your podcast as it has encouraged me each day. Thank you for talking about extended fasting. And one thing that I don't understand is that I just did a three-day fast, and it was the easiest thing ever. On another day, I might try to do a 24-hour fast, and it was absolutely awful. What is the difference and what's going on in my body that some days doing a three-day water fast is easy and then at the next time, just going through 10 hours might seem like a nightmare? Justine in Sedona, Arizona. When um, I missed and cut out just a smidge, um, it, I, I heard that she's having some days it's easy to fast and then some days an extended fast is harder. What symptoms she's was saying, she experiencing? Yeah, so she's just, she didn't give what. She's just saying... Okay. One time she did a three-day fast and it was like a breeze for her. The mm-hmm. next time she did a 24-hour fast and it was like really, really hard. I've had that happen to me. So she really, she's saying like, what's going on in my body that sometimes I can go for three days and sometimes, you know, just doing 24 hours is really difficult. Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, the big thing that I think is going on is... When you are cleaning out your fat and you are mobilizing fat, utilizing fasting, you are also mobilizing nasty toxins, benzenes, you know, benzene toxicity, mold, parabens, things that you've been exposed to, things that your mom was exposed to, heavy metals. And all of that is actually getting mobilized. And sometimes if your detox pathways aren't working well, or, or, and sometimes you actually need a little more support finding these toxicities that are coming out of your body because you're not eliminating those well. And so you're tapping into those fat stores where there's a little bit more toxicity. And so my guess is there could be a problem with elimination somewhere. So um, my suggestion on that would be um, occasionally potentially doing some binders making sure that liver function is good, making sure um, gut function is good. Um, and then binders can be really easy. Um, so we're talking about binders like fiber. You can do um, activated charcoal, you can do bentonite clay, zeolite. They're pretty like straightforward and easy. People's just antioxidant level isn't, isn't great. So my guess is that she's mobilizing a lot of other toxins. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I I will say this, Justine, is that I recently, I just went to, there's a place called Rejuve or something like that. And they give just different shots. They do IVs, um, but they also do like B12 shots, B6 shots, vitamin D shots, like an immune blend. So I went in one day and I was just kind of like, I, I just told the lady, I said, give me all of it. Like I wanted B12, I want a B complex, I want this, I want that. She gave me the vitamin D, the B complex, all of it. I did it. And then I had some really big decisions to make. I was selling some buildings, buying some new buildings, just making big, big decisions. So I had made the decision to do a three-day fast to really pray about what I needed to do. So I did that. And I felt the same way. Like this last three-day fast that I just did 
was a breeze. Like I was literally like, after the three days was up, I actually went a little bit longer because I was like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, let me just keep going until I can't go anymore. So I kind of went three and I actually made it like three days and like another 12 hours or whatever, you know? So you fix your detox pathways. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and so just getting those new, having all those nutrients in me made such a big difference. But the other thing that I noticed for myself was what you just said is the elimination is the key. Cause I know that for me, I've literally like, I'll be, let's say I'm sitting at work and, um, I might be feeling bad and then I will like start getting a headache and I start feeling like, oh, and then I will go to the bathroom and eliminate and go take a poop. And then I'll feel like a million bucks, Mm -hmm. like right afterwards. And it's all those toxins just brought me down. And so if I'm really constipated, I'm not going to be able to fast. Totally constipated. Your liver's not running. And like exactly what you said. So, you know, detox pathways are also B12, making sure you have the right nutrients. The other thing too is sweating in like more of a sauna situation Mm -hmm. that might help a little bit as well. Um, just to be like calm and like that, that parasympathetic state, not working out and sweating because you're more in a sympathetic state. So you're finding less toxins in the sweat than when you just sweat, um, in a sauna. Um, and, and ultimately that will help also get some of those toxins out of you know, if you're feeling really bad. That's awesome. Well, you always bring so much wisdom and knowledge. Tell listeners and where they can find you and where they can follow you. All right. So, um, you can find me on Instagram. It's at dr. It's my name, dr. Anne Marie Barter. And, um, and we'll put that link below. And then my website is alt, A-L-T, fam, F-A-M, med, M-E-D, short for alternative family medicine. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.